Um, I am on staff at this wonderful church. Um, I'm married to Jane, who's sat at the back. And we've got two small uh, children, Leo, who is two, and Freya, who is eight months uh, going on two. Um, um, we are doing a series at the moment, look, during Lent, looking at slowing down. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the Sabbath. Neil and Kay asked me to speak on this um, a couple of weeks ago, which was good because by that time I had started doing a Sabbath. Um, I think they, they asked me to speak on the Sabbath because it's something that Jane and I have been practicing for um, a little while, just, for a, just over a, a month, maybe six weeks. Um, and so I have a few caveats. First and foremost, I am not an expert when it comes to Sabbath. I'm no specialist. I um, had been considering pushing into Sabbath for quite a long time before I actually took the plunge. And while this is a practice me and Jane and our family are going to continue because we love it, um, we've only been doing it for, as I say, five or six weeks. Um, and it all hasn't always gone to plan is the other thing to be said. Um, but I think I wanted to share my ignorances with you um, this morning um, and some teaching from the Bible that I find quite interesting and helpful um, in my thinking on this. And hopefully it will help you too. So we're going to jump around a little bit in the Bible. Um, we're going to look at uh, four different books of the Bible, starting in Genesis moving to Exodus, then Deuteronomy, and then we'll finally we'll end in the New Testament in Mark. So, um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. The words will also appear behind me. And I'm going to sort of, because we want to go through it quickly, I won't read it word for word. Genesis chapter 2 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work he had of creating that he had done. God rested. Probably the one person in the whole world who doesn't need to rest. God rested after six days of hard work, God himself said, okay, enough is enough. It's time to rest. The word rest in Hebrew is the word, you probably know, Shabbat. Um, that's where we get the word Sabbath. It can be translated to stop or to cease or to be done. And it can also be translated to celebrate. Um, the idea behind the Sabbath day is an entire day set aside to slow down to actually stop. Take a step back and celebrate. Celebrate the world and your life in it, and above all, for us to celebrate God himself. Now, the Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. On a day off, you do all the work you don't get paid for. You run errands, you pay the bills, you go to the bank. You have a flat, if you have a flat or a house, you, you work on that. You clean or whatever. You go shopping, if you can buy toilet paper. You buy, you sell, you visit the shop or whatever, you play, 
you go out and you do whatever it is you do on your day off. And that's all great, but a Sabbath is something else. It is an entire day that is, according to the text, blessed and holy. It's a day when God has my full attention where I create space just to sit and be with God. It's a day when I'm fully available to my family, to my friends. No distraction, no work, no errands to run, just there in the moment. It's a day to reconnect with the soul, to recenter at a deep inside level around what really matters. And it is a day to wake up to all that is good and beautiful and true and to celebrate it as an act of worship. Uh, John Mark Comer says this, this is a quote, says, should come up behind me as well. That's why Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and he's good. We are, are his creation. This is his world. We live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing and we just be. We remember our place in the universe, so that we never forget there is a God, and I am not him. And in the story, God worked for six days, and then he rested for one. And in so doing, God built a rhythm into the fabric of creation. By rhythm, I mean there is a way that the creator set up creation to flourish and and thrive in this sort of symbiotic relationship between work and rest. If your life is all work, then over time you'll become grouchy and stressed out and on edge. Or you grind your soul into the ground. You become more machine than human being. You become hollow and empty. On the flip side, if your life is all rest, over time life becomes empty and empty of meaning and significance. Both overwork and underwork rob us of the capacity to live life to the full. And just to clarify here, by work, I don't just mean your job or your career, but maybe it's parenting or music or photography or serving at your church or fighting injustice, whatever it is you fill your schedule with or give your heart to. So this rhythm of six days of work, one day of Sabbath, six days of work, one day of Sabbath, this is the rhythm that God set out into motion from the very first minute of the very first hour of the very first day ever. Which is why later on, when God calls out a people, the Israelites, he actually commands the Sabbath. So turn with me now, if you've got a Bible, or it will appear behind, to Exodus chapter 20. This is what we now call the Ten Commandments. God is at the top of Mount Sinai. Israel is there at the base, and God spoke these words. I... And the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall, make for yourself, you, will, you shall not make for yourself an image. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Then listen to commandment number four. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember. Don't forget it. Don't get sucked into the rat race, to the crazy, hectic, busy way of life, in particular in this modern West, Western culture that we have. No, remember, there is a day, it's blessed, it's holy, it's set aside. There is a rhythm that you were created for. Remember that. How do we do that? By keeping it holy. 
The word in Hebrew can be translated set apart or dedicated to. So the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's not just a day for rest, to take a nap, read a novel, sleep in. Yes, it is that. But it's also a day for worship, or some people call it for delight. It's holy, it's set apart. It's dedicated to Yahweh, to an entire day out of your week, set aside to focus your mind, your heart, your body, your life, onto the God who made you. When we have been attempting Sabbath, Jane and me, we've been trying to run everything through that grid. Is this this rest? And does it help me to, to delight in God? If the answer to either of those two is no, then we hold off. There are six other days for, for all that stuff. If the answer to both is yes, this is rest, and this is delight, then we do it. That's why there's no formula here, or anywhere in the Old Testament, or the New for that matter, about how to Sabbath. Because so much of it is based on your own personality. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? And if you're an introvert and you just want to read, or an extrovert who just wants to get up and ride your bike and meet your friends... So much of it is based on personality. So much is based on your stage of life as well. Are you single? Do you have a roommate? Do you have a wife or a husband or little kids at home? Which basically means you don't get a Sabbath. (laughs) So much of it depends on your stage of life. And even so much of it depends on the season. There is a huge difference between Sabbath in the summer, when it's beautiful and warm outside, and Sabbath in the winter, and it's freezing. I mean, in a country where the weather changes. My point is there is all this open space and freedom. Anything that's rest, anything that's worship or delight, that's what you run into. Now notice the the commandment goes on. On it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Is, Is this echoing? Like, is it sort of reverberating, feeding back slightly? No? Is it just me? Just where I'm stood? Okay. Sorry. The point here is that the Sabbath is for everybody. It's not just for the rich who have extra time and money to blow on a nice vacation in Hawaii or whatever. This is for the rich, the poor, for the young, for old, for the refugee, for the citizen. This is for the entire community for you and for me to flourish and thrive. And next, God gives us why. Here's why. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God here goes back to the story of Genesis 2. And he basically makes the exact same point. There is a rhythm to creation. You work for six days and you rest for one. That's how God set it up. Now, notice before we move on that the commandment number four, the Sabbath, is by far the longest of the Ten Commandments. It is by far the most in-depth. In fact, if you were to translate the Ten Commandments into some kind of chart or graph or whatever, the Sabbath would make up about 30% of the pie. This would suggest that to God, this is over-the-top important. Like, this is where God says, okay, you really need to get this. You really need to catch this. This really matters. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
which will also appear behind me. Try to stay with me. Deuteronomy chapter 5. So the first five books of the Bible are usually called the Torah. The Torah is a Hebrew word, meaning law or teaching or something like that. But technically, if you want to get really particular, there are actually two Torahs. There is one from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, to the end of Leviticus. And then there's another one that comes later here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the title is two Greek words, which is deutero, meaning um, second, and namas, meaning law. Deuteronomy literally means the second law or the second Torah. And here's why. The law that you have from Exodus 20 to Leviticus, that law was written by God from the top of Mount Sinai. Israel's at the base in, a des- in, in the desert. Israel was literally days out of slavery in Egypt. But in Deuteronomy, you may or may not know, this was written 40 years later, after a very long detour in the desert. Israel are no longer in the desert, but they are on the edge of the Jordan River, about to step into the land of Canaan and become, for the first time, a nation. Eventually with a king and a kingdom and a government and a temple and a law, all of that. They are right on the cusp, right on the verge of a whole new reality. And so what Moses does is he calls everybody together right there on the side of the Jordan River and he starts to retell the important points of the law to this next generation. Because either they were not there or they were too young or whatever. And he starts to retell the most important points of the law to this generation. Now here in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses retells the Ten Commandments and yet there's something quite interesting which I think is important for us. Chapter 5, skip down to the commandment number 4 in verse 12. It says this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that, you, that, that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you up out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, that's why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now notice, this first half of the commandment is almost identical. Just one word is changed. And that is the opening line from remember the Sabbath in Exodus to observe the Sabbath in Deuteronomy. And in Jewish tradition, you light two candles for the Sabbath ritual. One candle is symbolic for remember the Sabbath, and the other candle, the second one, is symbolic for the command right here to observe the Sabbath. And that's what, that's what me and my wife do on our Sabbath week. We tend to light two candles, and we say to our son, Leo, who's screaming at the back right now, um, what they mean, and then he blows them out immediately, um, which is great. Um, Think of it, so on this word observe, think of it like the way we observe Christmas. So most of us, if you're not crazy, we, we get ready for Christmas. We don't just wake up on Christmas morning and think, oh, what should we do today? Should we go to my parents? Most of us think about what we're going to do in Christmas in advance. You gear up, you prep for it, you shop for it, you get food, you think of ways to make it special with family or friends. 
and you treat, treat that day very different from your average Monday or whatever it is. It stands apart. That's the idea. That's how we are to interact with the Sabbath. It's a holiday, a holy day that comes once a week, but without all the stress of Christmas. Where we treat it in such a way that it stands apart, we make it special, we remember it, we don't forget it, and we and get sucked into the, into the pace of life, and we also observe it. We pay careful attention to how we celebrate this weekly holy day. And that's the change at the beginning of the commandment, and then it's basically the same until the second half or until the end. And it's really interesting. Moses changes the ending, which I think he's allowed to do. In Exodus... The ending is, for in six days the Lord your God made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord your God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But here in Deuteronomy, there's a little bit of stuff about male and female uh, slaves or servants. And then it's, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, That's why Yahweh, your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. On Mount Sinai, in Exodus, the the command is grounded in the story of creation. But here in Deuteronomy, the command is grounded in the story of the Exodus. On Mount Sinai, the Sabbath is an art form. But here in Deuteronomy, it's an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. At Mount Sinai, it's an invitation from God. Here, come join in my rhythm and delight in my world. But here in Deuteronomy, it's a warning to stay away from Egypt and its system. Why is that? Well, it's because Egypt is somewhere that you never, ever want to return to. Here's a little bit of context about this. In the story of the Exodus, there is all sorts of language about restlessness, a sense of not enough, a need for more. For example, here's a couple of lines from half of one chapter. Quote, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Quote, you are stopping them from working. Quote, make the work harder for the people so they keep working. Quote, Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice your way. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. Yet you must produce the full quota of bricks. This is just from half a chapter in the story. Pharaoh is a ruthless cruel. He's he's a tyrant. No matter how hard the Hebrews work, it's never enough. Never enough. They lived under the oppressive yoke of the daily quota. More, more, more. And it wasn't just Pharaoh. It was Egypt as a whole. Even the economic system. Israel was making bricks, we read in the story, to build supply cities. Not just cities, supply cities. Entire cities just for Pharaoh and all of his rich friends to store extra stuff. Egypt's appetite for more was insatiable. There's never enough. Never enough money, never enough stuff, never enough food, never enough drink, never enough goods, never enough services. And it was an economic system built on the backs of slaves. To get the lavish, opulent lifestyle of a pharaoh or of Egypt, you need what economists call cheap labor which is a nice way of saying slavery, to do all the work that you have no desire to do so that you can live it up and rest and enjoy life while other people are down making bricks. 
And slaves, here's the thing about slaves. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves are less than human. Slaves are a commodity to buy and to sell. Slaves only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day until they die. It turns out that rest is actually a byproduct of freedom. No freedom, no rest. Freedom, rest. So the command here in Deuteronomy is remember that you're not slaves anymore. You're not in Egypt. You're you're free, so rest. Sabbath was a way for Israel to stay free from slavery and to never become the slave drivers. Notice all of the commands about how to treat your male and female servants, your animal, the foreigner, or the refugee, or the immigrant, legal or illegal in your village. Sabbath was a line in the sand. It was a way of saying, listen, we will never go back to Egypt. Never. And we will never become Egypt. As we become a nation, as we set up a government, as we have a king and a tax system and labor, we will never become that. And we need Sabbath ourselves now more than ever before because I would argue that Pharaoh is alive and well. And so is Egypt. And guess what? Guess who Egypt is now? It's us. Like it or not, like it or not, it's us. The global economic system of which we are a key player in this country, our global economic system is set up in a very similar way to Egypt. It's literally like a pyramid. I think there should be an infographic um, of what economists call the global wealth pyramid. Notice at the bottom is just about 70% of humanity. That makes up 2.7% of the world's wealth. Then at the top is 0.7% of humanity, and that makes up just shy of 40% of the world's wealth. Now, where are we on this pyramid? We're We're towards the top. Here's the thing. Egypt is really lousy if you're a slave but it's not half bad if you're an Egyptian. At the bottom are upwards of three billion people, the vast swathe of humanity, who make our T-shirts and our shoes and our iPhones. There are an estimated 40.3 million people in modern slavery around the world today. 24.9 million people in forced labor. That's way more than it ever was when William Wilberforce fought against slavery 200 years ago. This is a byproduct of globalization. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. A lot of us have stuff made by slaves all over our homes. Most of us are likely wearing clothing made by slaves right now. This is the world we live in. And it's not just an economic system, it's a culture that we live in, a culture of restlessness. And you will feel this the second you walk out of your door. In the West, we have so much, we, we never feel like we have enough stuff. In this culture, there is an endless, unquenchable lust for more. In this country, our long hours culture is continuing. In a recent study, workers are putting in the longest hours in Britain, um, in the whole of Europe. And if we compare... Um, And the slightly surprising thing about that is that we're not even the most productive. We work harder, but workers in other countries, including Germany and Denmark, 
are more productive than us, even though they work fewer hours. And in London, the city that we are in right now, that we live in, we work in, Londoners spend about three weeks more at work a year than the rest of the UK. And for us, this is due in large part, I think, to technology, so-called labor-saving devices like the smartphone, or email, or the internet have made the office something that we carry around in our back pocket. Now to go to the office, all we have to do is roll over in the morning and unlock our phones. And I'm not anti-technology. Technology does a ton of good in the world. But I very much believe that all generations have blind spots, and I think that digital addiction is at the top of the list of ours, and me personally. I think we are in danger of being in a place where our kids <laughs> grow up and say, my dad was always on his phone. My mum was never present. Like, she was, she was way more interested in getting more likes on Instagram than she was in me. This is, a, this is a new problem, and this is a problem for me personally. It's something I've been working on. I am a self-confessed addict to my phone. Um, and I've been, since the beginning of this year, really, I've been trying to challenge and change that addiction. And here are a few things I've done. I bought one of these. Should appear. Does anyone know what that is? It's called... That's an alarm clock. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's, uh, my, my wife and I made a decision to charge our phones downstairs. It's crazy. Um, that was quite a big one for me. Um, do I really miss my phone now? Not, not really, surprisingly. Um, it also means I don't wake up looking at my phone. I mean, who wants the first thing in the morning to be looking at an email from work or a tweet from Donald Trump, I don't know. This, and secondly, I deleted social media from my phone. That was painful for me, losing the instant but pointless football updates. Um, that was quite painful. But again, I, I don't really miss it. And lastly, we've tried turning off our phones over Sabbath. And this device, which is so great for so many things, I, I think can cause us to work more wherever we are. So my point is that we work more, uh, more and more in the West, and on top of that, we actually have more than ever before. Londoners earn about 10 pounds more an hour than the UK average, and in the last 50 years, disposable in income has increased four times in real terms. We have more money, we have more stuff, but in spite of that, we are just as unhappy as ever before. New research has uncovered that the number of people in the UK being admitted to hospital for cases of stress and anxiety has soared in the past decade. According to a recent study, more than a third of the British public is likely to feel stressed for at least an entire day every week. The fast-paced and hectic nature of contemporary society has seemingly taken its toll on the mental health of many Brits. So we work more... I'm just going to take a drink of water. So we work more than ever before, and we have more than ever before, but we're miserable. It's Egypt all over again. And here's the point that I'm trying to make this morning. Sabbath is an act of resistance. 
Sabbath is a way of saying no to Pharaoh and no to his slave drivers. It's the proverbial middle finger to Egypt and its system. It's rebellion. It's an act of defiance. It's an insurgency. It's an act of war. It's a line in the sand. It's a way of saying enough, enough to work. Work is a good thing, but it's not the thing. We are made not just for production. We are also made for pleasure. Sabbath is a way to break, break our addiction to accomplishment. And enough stuff. Stuff isn't bad, but most of us don't really need another pair of shoes. Sabbath is a way to break our addiction to, to accumulation. Out of the Sabbath command here in Exodus and Deuteronomy come all the later commands in the Old Testament to, buy, to not buy or sell at all on the Sabbath. Still to this day, Orthodox Jewish communities in Israel, from about 20 minutes before Sabbath at sundown on a Friday night to late on a Saturday there is nothing open. Everything is closed down. You can't buy, you can't sell, you can't trade, there's no commerce, nothing. Why? Because it's a day to have enough. This is something that Jane and, and my family and I have been uh, trying to practice. We, we try not to buy anything on the Sabbath. We get everything we need before and, or wait till it's over. We try to limit our phone usage, put them on sleep mode, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Now TV, that's all off. We don't think about what needs to be done around the house or what needs to be bought next. It's just a day to practice gratitude, not entitlement. Contentment, not discontentment. So often I can sit around my house and I notice all the things that are wrong, all the things that I need to do. But on Sabbath, um, we've been trying to enjoy what we have, delight in what we actually like. Notice the good, not the bad. It's a day to celebrate and thank God for, the, for and enjoy all the stuff that we, have, um, that, we, that we have, not to think about all the stuff that we don't have, much less the stuff that we want. And it's not that accomplishment and accumulation are evil at all. It's that there is a rhythm, there's a work, and there's, a, and there's rest. There is a limit. At some point, you and I need to draw a line in the sand and say, listen, enough, no to more. I don't need to work more hours. I don't need to move up in the company. I don't need promotion. I don't need a bonus. I don't need another commission. I don't have to get the perfect score. I don't have anything to prove. I don't have to earn my father's love. I am a son. I am a daughter of the father of everything. I have nothing to prove. My self-worth, my identity does not come from my exam results or how young I am, at, at what position in the company or whatever, or, or, or owning your own company or how much money I make or how well known I am or how many likes I get on Instagram. That is not who I am. I am a son. I am a daughter of God. I don't need more stuff. I don't need to buy more. I don't need to sell more. I don't need another pair of jeans. I don't need a brand new iPhone. I don't need to experience everything. I don't need another stamp in my passport. I don't have to eat at every single new restaurant in the city. I don't have, have to take my kids to ballet or to football or wherever, whatever kids club all year long. I don't have to look younger or stronger or have flatter abs, although that would be very nice. I don't have to make everyone happy. There is no daily quota. Pharaoh is dead. Egypt is in the past. The only slave drivers are the one in the back of my head saying, get to work. 
You're lazy. Get more. Have more. I'm not a slave anymore. I am free, and I'm part of a different kingdom now with a different king. Sabbath is a way of saying no to Pharaoh and no to his Egypt, but it's also a way of saying yes to God and his kingdom. God is nothing like Pharaoh. Turns out that he's a lot more like Jesus. He is a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-giving God. And the practice of Sabbath, a weekly day set aside for rest and delight, is how, or at least it's one of the ways that we break free from our, culture, our culture's gravitational pull and we slip into an orbit around God. Now, I know a lot of us are in this room and are listening to this and you're thinking, this sounds great, but I don't have time for Sabbath. I have way too much to do. I am way too busy. You don't know my life. And some of you are possibly looking at this going, that's great, but what you're talking about here is old covenant before Jesus. So it's not relevant. And all I want to say to you this morning, firstly, is there's no guilt at all. But I just want to say, if you don't do this, you're missing out. I'm telling you that Sabbath is becoming, at least for for us, for our family, one of the most important spiritual disciplines of our lives. And that's not to suggest that it's easy. It's definitely something that takes practice. Our first few Sabbaths were disasters. We just fought all day. But I think it's so worth it. And so to end with, and to speak into that a bit more, I want to briefly look at what Jesus had to say about the Sabbath. Jesus famously said, and I'm sure it's a passage you know well, in Mark 2.27, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now in context, you know this story of Jesus. He's dealing with the religious people of his day who had lost the plot on the Sabbath. They had turned it into a legalistic, devoid of joy kind of ritual and lost sight of God's heart for it. So he's dealing with the Pharisees. But while I think that first century, the first century Jews needed to hear the second half of that sentence, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You have it backwards. But in, I think in the 21st century, for us as followers of Jesus, we need to hear the first half of that sentence. The Sabbath was made for man. There's a day that was literally made for human beings to flourish and to thrive in God's world. There's a day that is blessed and is holy. Scholars debate back and forth. Is the command in the, in the Sabbath um, for the Sabbath still valid? Do we have to do them or not? And the truth is, if you don't do Sabbath, it's not sin. It's not a command. It's wisdom. And what I mean by that, to sort of compare it to our our culture, there's, there's no law which says that you have to sleep eight hours a night. You don't have to. You're welcome to sleep five hours a night. The average human being needs seven to nine hours. I probably need about 12. But you, you don't have to do that. You're welcome to run on five or six. It's probably not wise. It's probably not that smart. But you're welcome to. It's not sin. Or, if you like, there is no command that says you, you can't eat mud. 
Go ahead. You're welcome to. It's not sin. You don't need to beg and plead for mercy. You're just stupid. But it's, not, it's, it's just not wisdom. In the same way, the Sabbath is not a command that we get stuck on. It's not the idea. It's not the idea to feel guilty and if your week is crazy and you just don't do Sabbath. It's just how God set up the world to thrive. This is how God set up you and me to live, you and me to thrive. And I am no expert, as I said at the start. We have been doing this for about six weeks, and we are sold already. But I know this is not easy. This is, for many of us, a big culture shift. But I know that this practice is growing in our church. I know that a number of people are pushing into this at the moment. And I think this is for all of us. We need to get stuck into this practice. We need to not get stuck on this practice as legalistic. And we need to get stuck into this practice. It is not about what we can't do. It's about all the things that we get to do on Sabbath. It should be like Christmas Day every week. It needs thought. It needs planning. It needs preparation. But it's so, 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 so worth it. Why don't you stand?